Hello, my name is Adam Eason and welcome to episode 76 of Hypnosis Weekly. Hello Hypnosis friends and a very warm welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Once again in my own highly biased opinion I think I have an awe-inspiring show lined up for you today. In a short while I'll be sharing with you this week's interview with my guest Melvin Marsh. Then instead of the usual hypnosis in the news section I'm going to get right on my soapbox once again as I tend to do on occasion and talk about why I think prominent hypnotherapists and hypnotherapy training schools need to know how to take criticism. We then return with our professional discussion with this week's guest, Melvin Marsh. We'll be talking about his work using hypnotherapy within the transgender community. And there's a great deal of insight to be gained from that today. We'll round things off with this week's evidence-based factoid before I bid you farewell for another week. As I said at the beginning of every Hypnosis Weekly episode, this podcast is something that I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate. I do not share the same stance as most of our guests and at times have major differences in approach and leaning, but all are incredibly lovely people people who I'd happily talk with until late in the pub, and all of whom, following their time here on Hypnosis Weekly, I have a great deal of respect for. If you have questions, queries, thoughts or feedback, do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted at each episode on the website www.hypnosis-weekly.com. That's just hypnosisweekly with a hyphen in the middle dot com. You can add your thoughts, comments, make any suggestions there too. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else to help us reach more of the hypnosis community. It's greatly appreciated. If you enjoy this podcast, please do go give us a favourable rating. Even a review at iTunes. I'll be a BFF if you do. Um, and it takes a couple of seconds, one or two clicks, just to give us a favourable rating. Uh, and please do that. It helps us out a great deal. So first of all today is this week's interview with Melvin Marsh. Uh, Melvin has a fascinating and inspiring backstory that gets discussed to some extent in this initial interview and then a lot more depth uh, later on in our discussion um, with regards to his own transgender journey. Um, his experience and specialist understanding is one I respect greatly. And before we got underway, I had to check that I was communicating about the subject correctly and uh, making sure that I, there wasn't any incorrect use of terminology. I don't want to come across as a complete Luddite, uh, well, no more than usual anyway. We'll get on to that specialist subject later on. For now, we'll concentrate on hypnosis and getting to know Melvin and his stance. So for now, get comfy, my friends. Turn up the volume, sip on your tea. Enjoy this week's interview. <music> So, as I've just been discussing, I am delighted to be joined on Hypnosis Weekly this week by the one and only Melvin Marsh. Melvin, welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Thank you for having me, Adam. So, tell us a little bit about yourself, first of all. Tell us, how did you get into this field? What's your background? How have you arrived at where you are now? Well, I 
will uh, we'll first of all state that this is definitely not what I ever planned when I graduated from college or graduate school. <laughs> matter, of, matter of fact, if you had said anything about me being a hypnotist, say 15 years ago, I would have laughed at you and then probably begged you for a session. I figured if I was going to ever do this ever, I was going to be a professional subject. Now, uh, something that I was doing 15 years ago, right around that time, was I started performing volunteer work as a mental health counselor. I was not performing hypnotherapy, but I was mostly working with the transgender community. Yeah, I uh, worked a lot with people who were literally on the edge of suicide. Uh, my cell phone number um, it was probably plaster, plastered on tra trans forums as a number to call in, like just <laughs> at least certainly mostly yeah. in the southern United States. Right. Yeah, you know, I was like, if you, you can't get to your therapist, you know, call me. You know, I, I won't particularly, you know, be upset. I'd, ra I'd be more upset if you did something that you shouldn't. Yeah. You know, this, is a, this can be very permanent. Yeah. But that was, that was 10, 15 years ago or so. Um, I remember having, you know, having my daughter be very little. She's 14 now. Um, and, you know, just, just sort of hoping that the phone wouldn't ring because she was little and I didn't want her to wake up. I uh, probably, during the time I was active, probably talked to about a thousand people. Wow. And um, I certainly burned out because the trans community can be very intense. Yeah. And I didn't have the training to save the world. Um, now, this, this is, like I said, not anything that I majored in in school. No. Now, my actual academic background is biological anthropology, is my bachelor's, right. and space studies, it was my master's. Right. So pretty and, different. Yeah, they're a little bit different. <laughs> you know, you can, you can say that was a little bit different. And I mean, I, when I went to graduate school, I didn't even have the, the background to actually really even begin the program, but mm. it, it worked. Yeah. I'm very eclectic. You know, I, I did do a lot of research, um, assist, you know, assistant type jobs, both graduate and graduate school, which a lot of that involved stress. Yeah. I kept trying to avoid the subject of stress, but it kept finding me, you know, uh, and it, it, I, I had certainly my own set of issues. Yeah. And um, at one point with all this, cr the crazy stuff that was going on, I decided, um, that between you know my my you know research career and all this and various other things that I wanted to go back to me, to medical school and to try to get uh, an MD and help the trans community there. That's of course not psychological, but it's you know biological. It might be it was, it was going to be a little bit easier, and I was hoping to not have um, a burnout. Yeah. But when I started medical school, I was advised to seek. Uh, help for my own anxiety problem, I, which I'd had from from you know small child on. In all fairness, I come by it honestly. I'm the third person in my family with an anxiety problem, you know, third generation. Mm. That particular therapist on intake suggested hypnotherapy. I uh, declined that. I looked at him like he was a space alien, because um, I was like, uh, dude, this is the first time we're ever meeting. And the answer would be, I don't know you well enough to go anywhere 
in my mind. And if you think I'm clucking like a chicken or barking like a dog, <laughs> I'll end you. Um, I was really, really scared of that suggestion. Yeah. And very uncertain about it. But I ended up having to go on a leave of absence from medical school. I actually got sexually assaulted um, and had a few, uh, <laughs> a, a, a few, um, you know, hospital stays, not, um, not, not, not psychological ones, but um, I ended up with a heart problem. I ended up with an internal organ rupturing um, from various assaults. Oh, no. I, I live in the south, you know, the southern part of the United States in Augusta, Georgia. It is not very friendly. Every horrible thing you see about southerners in the U.S., probably we have seen in this city. And this is the most conservative place I've ever lived. I've lived in the South my entire life. But when I was on my leave of absence, I said, okay, well, maybe Bill had something about this hypnotherapy thing. Let me look at look into it. I actually found um, an online course, actually through Groupon, um, with this, this guy in the UK. And I was like, okay, well, I, I just want to learn what's, what what this person would have done to me. And I really liked the course. And I said, you know, I'm going to research a little bit more. Found another course, this one at um, Hypnosis Motivation Institute. Said, okay. And so I was like, this is a, this is a good you know thing. I just want to learn, just want to learn. Mm. And then I went on Psychology Today and looked for somebody local who did hypnotherapy. I did this after I you know said, said to my psychiatrist, you know, can I, is this a good idea? And she's like, with how resistant you are to medications, hip, look, hypnotherapy tends to work and it tends to work very well. Um, but there weren't that many uh, hypnotherapists in the area, but subconsciously I was drawn to this one dude um, next town over, well, actually like 30, 30 minutes, 45 minutes away. And when I went through everyone's qualifications, I was again drawn now consciously to this to this guy. And he was a well-qualified psychotherapist who did a lot of hypnotherapy. I Googled this, this poor man half to death looking for any reasons to say no to this idea. I tend to do best with indirect suggestions and he was influenced by Milton Erickson. And I was like, okay, so that, so I can't even say this is, like the wrong type of hypnosis because mm. I would have a chance, you know, a, a, a good chance. And um, I was also getting tired of therapists who had no sense of humor. So I was hoping he was going to be a stick in the mud. <laughs> um, on the contrary, he was known for being a complete and utter goofball. And he also even took my insurance. So I didn't have to pay him $150 for a session. So if, after just a few sessions with him, my life just, changed he encouraged this crazy hypnotherapy idea saying oh well you seem to be a natural at it yourself you know and you know just a few months after that i left medical school permanently having dealt with another um, issue with being transsexual and i went to uh directly back to hmi gra graduated with honors and i built my practice also, let it go on record. I have not the slightest resemble, resemblance of an anxiety problem now. Great. I only have a hypno-junkie problem right now. <laughs> so, there are worse problems to have. Yeah, there really are. 
yeah yeah so yeah within that journey within within the study and um within within everything that you've been through where, where are you at as far as just hypnosis is concerned um so that is you know how, how do you define it and how, how have you arrived at that definition or how do you explain because i mean because you made reference there in your own story about your own uh, you know preconceived ideas about what hypnosis was about and about you know potentially clucking like a chicken and so on how do you educate people and and, and how do you explain hypnosis to your clients now well i usually say um that my purpose as a hypnotist is to get them really, really relaxed. That's what mine did. Mine would, uh, from what he said, he very rarely ever used the H word with people co coming in. He would say, oh, and he actually very rarely used it with, with me, although he know, knew he could. It, you know, I knew I was going to go into trance when he's like, you know, it seems like you need some relaxation. And so now I tell them uh, my purpose is to get you basically as relaxed as you can be without falling asleep. And I might give them some examples, um, you know, about what might happen. You know, your, you might, your legs might go numb, that's fine. Um, you know, and that I would also, you know, tell them that trance was pretty natural and state they've probably been in trance before. Um, you know, maybe I, I would, depending on the individual person, um, I've worked with several people who don't have driver's licenses, so I so, so I stopped using this example, you know. I, but I usually give the the thing about highway hypnosis. Yeah, right. And now I don't do that because I've been running into people without driver's licenses, and I was like, okay, well, okay, sure. well, you can have passenger highway hypnosis. <laughs> yeah. Or I'll t tell them, do you ever do you ever read? Okay, do you like um, do have you ever gotten lost in such a good book? that your your spouse if they're married of course shouts at you so many times that you don't hear them yeah you pro you're probably in some state of trance right there or you know even in a tv show same same thing yeah so that's what i usually do and i usually tell them when when cuz in my free talk i always talk about the clock like a chicken thing and i said look the odds are that you are not going to do anything in trance that you won't do when drunk. And I always point out, I was like, if you bark like a, like a dog when you're drunk, you know, maybe, maybe you will do it in trance, but mm -hmm. I'm not going to ask you to do it. Um, just, you know, if you're unlikely to give your, your credit, you know, your credit card number out when drunk, you're probably, you know, you're probably not going to give it to me no matter how much I beg. Yeah. You know, and I always make the joke about if I could get that type of information out, in all, you know, in all fairness, hypnotherapy does pay well. It does pay that well. I would have a, I would own a small, you know, island off the coast somewhere. I would not be doing hypnotherapy. I, you, you know, you guys, you know, you, you would not be seeing me for months at a time. I'd own my own plane, have food shipped in, dropped off, and the person would leave. <laughs> you know, so that's yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 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 so I, I, I'm interested in this then. So, so. How has that been? How has that been influenced, and, and and where are where where have those influences come from? Tell me a little bit about a little bit about your major influences within the field. Tell me a little bit about um, and perhaps the books and the authors that that have been most influential upon you, or that have taught you the most, and teachers that have been most influential upon you, and perhaps some of the reasons why. 
Well, um, I do try to learn from everyone, regardless of who of who they are. And my yeah, own. good. I, I certainly have my own pre- uh, preferences. Uh, I will state I have a fondness for Erickson's work, partially because you have to hit me indirectly. If you get inter- if you go directly with me, I'm going to say uh, no. You pre- basically have to trick my mind into doing almost anything. Um, but I'm really not, you know, sure if it's just that. But also because I'm from a family of storytellers. If you ask any one of my family members, especially my mother, a question, this you're going to go. The the answer is going to be somewhere in this 20 minute story, mm. and you're going to figure probably figure it out on your own. And she's probably never going to say it. Um, my husband has a theory, though. Would you like to hear what his theory is? Yes, tell me. His theory is that I love the couple color purple, and I would rather be in pajamas all day. <laughs> but in all fairness, I liked Erickson long before I learned about the purple pajama thing. Mm. I also, um, you know, you know, my ther- my therapist doesn't ever want me to say it, but I did learn a lot from him. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Leslie is the is the guy's name. He's written several books, including Potential Not Pathology. Mm-hmm. He also has a podcast, which I have to be careful not to listen to because I'm so, you know, conditioned to his voice that if I listen to that. On the, you know, in the car, which is where I usually listen to podcasts. Um, well, nothing positive can happen to that. About that, I will probably go doop, and that will happen <laughs> to me. Now, if anybody has ever been on that podcast or has influenced, you know, has influenced him, um, they've probably have, you know, influenced me just because I took so much of that and him being another another person very influenced by Erickson. Um, he's like the only Ericksonian in, in the area. So I, I think I did pick the correct person because now I got to see this, you know, have it worked, you know, right, you know, right there on me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when you know, I attended HMI, they don't do a lot of Ericksonian. The, um, their influence is is um, Kappas, John Kappas. Yeah. Um, but I don't re- haven't really been influenced by them nearly as much. You'll hear that come out when um, I discuss relationship issues. Yeah, I will just I will go, I will just go off on on their uh, emo and phys sexuality. Yeah, but that's but I would say probably you know ninety percent probably ends up being some form of Erickson Ericksonian. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, that's that, that, that's interesting to hear. So tell me, tell me then, throughout throughout the time that you've been exploring this field, studying it, what's been what's been one of the most impressive applications of hypnosis that you've directly witnessed, Melvin? Um, well, this one isn't one I've directly witnessed, but I directly experienced. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now cool. I've been in chronic pain since I was since I was little. Yeah. Um, I had precocious puberty and things developed very, very early, especially my breasts. Um, and I got basically injured my back. I've had a back problem since I was eight years old, which is really bad, but you know, it happens. Yeah. Um, I ended up learning self-hypnosis very young, not knowing that's what I was doing. Um, but you know, as I've gotten more experience, I've been able to, you know, do more and more. Unfortunately, there was this one time it worked a little overly well. Um, since I was used to doing this and started doing this when I was young, before I really knew better, I never thought to, uh, give myself anything 
any note saying, okay, well, you still have to notice acute pain because it could be a problem. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't. Mm. Last year, I had some minor discomfort for a few weeks. But it was one of those not enough to bother anyone with it. You know, you ever had a situation like that? Mm. I'm fine. Don't worry. Um, eventually, I went, I, I go to the doctor, that, which is, by the way, about a six-hour round trip because I'm transgender and I have to be careful about who I go to. Sure. Um, but but this, I went to, to see him after my EMT tr- uh, training kicked in and said, something doesn't look right. And I wanted a second opinion. Um, so I go to the so I go to the the doctor. I am, I mean, I didn't even change out of my pajamas because I felt so off. Mm. And they said, "Oh, Mel, you're crazy." Uh, they said, "There's absolutely nothing." Uh, it was not nothing. Within two da- days, I finally go to the ER. Was, I was finally concerned enough. It turns out my gallbladder had ruptured. Sometime prior, Ooh. from a one-inch gallstone. Oh dear. Um, I was septic. I was told I was very lucky. I was still alive, mm. and they were absolutely astounded um, that I drove myself. They're like, "You shouldn't be able to even move." Uh, they also knew I was an EMT, so I caught additional flag for not doing anything so- sooner. Yeah. And you know. They, the doctors refused to give me pain meds, or at least one of them refused to give me pain meds because I was transgender uh, after the emergency surgery I had. Oh, uh, I, I literally, I was in so much pain, I literally asked if there was a hypnotist on staff because mm. um, I actually had to cancel my hypnotherapy appointment to do this emergency surgery, which probably was a good idea anyway. Uh, they used my request for a hypnotherapist as evidence, I was being snuck drugs, and so denied me the medication. I do. Yeah, so I had to do my best to uh, keep calm and try to take the edge off using self-hypnosis until I could get back to my PCP and actually get real medication. But still, it was it was very impressive because I I I should have apparently been dead, and I was just like, okay, now is the time I need to go <laughs> to, to go. Yeah, you should have been dead three days ago. Mm. Mm. Um, wow! I, I thought that was particularly impressed. You know, yeah, impressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I'm guessing if you've had an experience like that, um, um, you know, you have some pretty pretty major commitment to the the, the, the efficacy of, of what hypnosis can do. And 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 I'm guessing that 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 comes through that kind of level of conviction will potentially come through with the people that you're working with. Oh yeah, I also usually will tell them. Um, if I don't want to discuss the gallbladder story, uh, and especially if people want to come in, you know, want to discuss surgical hypnosis and such, I will point out that I, you know, I had a had a baby a little, you know, 14 years ago. So mm. I always want to say it's a little, you know, a little while ago. Yeah, well, it wasn't <laughs> that long ago. It was 14 years. Um, I did a home birth, and um, I, I hated doctors. I was terrified of them, and uh, I was not in any pain. I was not taught breathing exercises. I was not taught. I, I didn't really have a great concept of hypnosis at the time, but I had, except for the fact I had chronic pain. So I knew that there were areas I could just basically start tuning off and to, or tuning down. So I had 13 hours. I did my homework for the first um, six, seven hours of labor. 
not, and hid it from everyone in my family. <laughs> and then a few <laughs> years later, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious. And a few years later, had a root canal from another person who refused to give me pain medication, had a root canal just using hypnosis. Wow. Um, I still wasn't, hadn't, wasn't a fully trained hypnotist yet, but I knew, A, I knew how to turn off my arms. You know, I knew how to turn off my legs. Yeah. The, you know, I, I've shut off various parts of my body. Oh, I've never shut off my mouth before. Uh-oh, <laughs> I need to figure out how to shut off my mouth now. And I you know, basically tensed off you know, one, one uh, set of nerves at a time until I found the one that they were pressing around, and it turned, it turned off. And uh, they actually thought I fell asleep during the root canal. I was like, no, I, you know, oh, I was just doing everything possible to change, to distort time, to make this go faster. Yeah, 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 yeah. I bet, I bet. Um, um, um brilliant. I, I love hearing stuff like that. Um, especially root canal. You know, I mean, that's some, uh, that's some, that's some hardcore stuff. Um, yeah, that was not if, comfortable. If, if, if. If you go back then to the beginning of your journey, you know, when you started out learning about hypnosis and, and, and planning and plotting to be a hypnotherapist, you know, knowing, knowing what you know now, is there anything that you'd do differently? Um, um, is there any advice the person that you are today would give that, that younger version of you setting out on this, uh, this journey? And, and would you extend any of that advice to our listeners? Well, I would, there are a few different things I would say. The main thing I would say to a young, the younger me would be to grab his shoulders and say, dude, consider this job a job in hypnotherapy and don't waste time with medical school. That's one of the things I would say. Yeah. Uh, and another thing that I would extend to everybody, because uh, this is a great piece of advice, is I would say never trust a smiling cat and go with your gut on people. There have been a few times, frequently with other hypnotists, where I didn't go with my gut and I ended up very very hurt mm. um so you know your gut's telling you something for a reason try to pay attention to it yeah I mean, you know your subconscious knows knows more than you do sure. you know sure and i think that was an erickson quote actually man yeah. he's influencing me accidentally now yeah yeah so and um, um you know we're, we're gonna talk we're gonna talk a, a, a lot more um, um, um about about um about hypnosis about transgender issues um, um and, and working with those um for now uh, melvin where can people go to learn more about your work and approach to hypnosis online well my website is afterhoursHypnotherapy.com. yeah you can you can also simply you know search my name yeah search, search my name and hypnosis I assure you, I will come up everywhere. Great. I'm also on Psychology Today. If you're in the Augusta, Georgia area, yeah. you know, you can just search for me, and I'm one of the only hypnotherapists on there. Yeah, great, great. We will have a link to uh, the website afterhourshypnotherapy.com um, I'm over at uh, this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. Um, I'm, I'm, Melvin, thank you very much. Um, it's been really good getting to get, get, getting a flavour of you. Um, we will be back with Melvin Marsh in just a few minutes' time. I really enjoyed that. We'll be back with Melvin in a short while. Um, instead of the usual hypnosis in the news section, I wanted to discuss a topic that means a great deal to me. I wrote a blog article on this topic and felt it was pertinent for me to mention it here too. 
I'm currently I'm I'm on, I'm on tenter hooks. I'm filled with anxious anticipation and suspense following my recent submission of uh, an academic paper to a peer-reviewed journal. Uh, my paper is 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 going to be the first of its kind. It's a very particular type of systematic literature review. Um, um it's being offered to a more prestigious journal than some of the the, the hypnosis journals that I'm more um, familiar with, and I just can't help but feel some apprehension with regards to the feedback. Uh, some of the peer review board have differing theoretical stances than those presented within my paper. Some have written books and carried out research themselves about differing approaches and so I've had some slight opposition and recommendations as well as having some notions suggested for inclusion and development of my future research direction and my work going forward. I have put hours and hours of my time and effort into this particular research. I've worked incredibly hard, I've invested myself heavily, and I naturally feel protective over it. You know, I could get defensive, yet I think it's wonderful to receive feedback from fellow researchers, academics and authors um, that I've long looked up to. It's truly exhilarating to have a robust critique of my work and to have it scrutinised. Um, my work gets better as a result and I get better as a result in a number of different ways. Uh, you know, regularly I go and look at the reviews um, that my books and my audio programmes have received online. It's not without a slight sense of trepidation on occasion, um, but when it's properly qualified and constructive, I take it on board and do all I can to respond to it. You know, the toughest criticism we receive is often the place where we grow, where we develop and learn the most. And I typically look at it as a way to get better. At the end of courses, seminars, training events that, that, that I run and that my college um, runs, um, I hand out feedback forms so that we can get anonymous, structured feedback and we can refine, develop and make our educational offerings better. Every top quality training that I have been on did just that, you know, in line with top quality educational standards and methods and so on. Or the poor quality trainings I attended did nothing of the sort. You know, you know, you guys will know, you regular listeners will know when working with individual clients for hypnotherapy, you want to get honest feedback about how they're getting on and how things can be done better. This is going to help them more. Um, we'll get better results as hypnotherapists and we become more effective. You know, the use of feedback forms, measuring scales, engaging in reflective practice, having regular supervision. These are all ways of ensuring we look to grow, develop and improve as hypnotherapists. It's a central part of how we all should be working. Yet I encounter a trend, a proliferation of the classic head-in-the-sand attitudes among so many hypnotherapists who fear asking for solid feedback or constructive criticism, who take it personally instead of seeing it as an opportunity to grow, and who just want to crack on regardless, insisting they know best. There are so many contributing reasons for this attitude, but one big contributory factor, in my opinion, is the very culture of hypnotherapy training and CPD, you know, continued professional development. Um, and training courses that are offered because they themselves do not offer or create a culture of wanting to grow and develop and, and very often instead will offer up a singular, impervious to critique type of attitude that does no one any good in the long run. Many hypnotherapy training courses offered to the public these days are a singular model devised by the school founder and the lead trainer. Some are excellent, I am sure, yet there's no critique offered. They virtually sell the singular model and extol all the reasons that it's so good, but do not offer up the other side of the debate or offer up potential criticism 
terms of their model or their favoured approach. However good the training is, the depth of education is always going to be lacking if there's not a transparent approach to what's being taught. Schools, colleges, universities will always offer up the stance of fierce critics as well as those supporting a particular viewpoint. Even if the teacher sympathises with a particular side, the critique of that side needs to be taught and explored. And this is quality education. That, that's education full stop. This is how a student learns. This is how a field of study grows. When hypnotherapy trainings simply say this is the way it is and do not allow for any critique or they get all precious and sensitive if something's critiqued, it halts the potential for growth and development. And currently, the field of hypnotherapy is held back by so many people doing just that. Likewise, there are then those individual hypnotherapists and hypnotherapy training schools offering adjunctive CPD techniques that they have devised, many of which are excellent. You know, I'm, I'm not taking away from that. Yet the teacher or the, the, the pioneer, the divisor, gets defensive, perhaps if they're asked for evidence of that technique. They get defensive when a criticism is offered up. They get defensive if someone cannot seem to get it to work for them. And they take other, anything other than glowing praise as an attack. And it's crazy. They need to listen, be respectful and open with regards to what's being said and use it as an opportunity to grow, develop and ultimately refine what's being offered. Some just dismiss such requests and feedback with this sort of anti-intellectual stance that I've spoken about before here on this, uh, on this podcast. You know, we must be able to take criticism and learn from it and, and develop and improve, not just circle the wagons and start shooting at everyone who dares do so. They're not just holding themselves back. They're holding the entire hypnotherapy field back by creating a culture and role modeling a culture that many hypnotherapists then take back into their hypnotherapy rooms when working with clients. And they will not improve if they hold on to that same reticence to be open to criticism and feedback. When engaging in training, I tell all of my students not to just take my word for things, but to go and explore the field and develop an informed and well-educated stance of their own based upon the evidence that we present, the critiques that we present, as well as their own preferences. The importance of critical thinking is pretty absent in the vast majority of hypnotherapy trainings. When we see the need for it in life in general these days, surely we can recognise how important it really is within a therapeutic environment and with within the mental health field in general. We need to be comfortable asking questions about hypnotherapy training, not hiding in fear in case the trainer gets defensive. Likewise, we need to get better at thinking for ourselves because so many hypnotherapists want spoon feeding. A good quality hypnotherapy training course should have given you knowledge and skills required to do things like hypnobirthing or offer your clients a hypnogastric band if, if that's what you want to do. Instead, we're happy to pay someone else to package up our existing knowledge for us and spoon feed us on how to do just that. I've written before, I've spoken before about something called Shoshin. Um, and I'll quote, in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities, but in the experts, there are few. 
And that's from Shunryu Suzuki in Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. And Shoshin is also referred to as Beginner's Mind. And it's not just hypnotherapists who need to adopt this Beginner's Mind on occasions. It's seasoned and influential hypnotherapists and training schools who have big followings. It's hypnotherapy trainers and educators who need to know that what they offer is not everything to everyone. They need to adopt Shoshin and become humble about what they offer. They need to accept that feedback and criticism is how they will grow and develop and ultimately raise standards within our field. So learn how to take criticism well, like a grown-up. Recognize that everything we do and say is likely to have flaws. And you know what? That's okay. Nothing's perfect. So why not accept that? A quote from Hendry Weisinger. Criticism is information that will help you grow. And how about this one from Dwayne Allen Hans? You are a glorious shining sword and criticism is the whetstone. Do not run from the whetstone or you will become dull and useless. Stay sharp. Spot on, Dwayne Allen Hans. Come on, hypnotherapy trainers, training schools, hypnotherapists, uh, you regular listeners. You know, Get on board with this. Learn how to take criticism. Um, okay, next up. We have this week's professional discussion then. I welcome back Melvin Marsh. Uh, when I was first communicating with Melvin online, he told me of, of his journey. And not only did I feel a little bit out of my depth with the subject matter, simply due to my own ignorance and naivety of it, I also thought it very rare to be encountering a man who was once a woman and who had given birth. Uh, yet Melvin's story has, has even more challenge and depth to it that in and of itself I think is fascinating and inspiring to listen to. But then to listen to the ways hypnosis and hypnotherapy has been used by him throughout his own journey and that of so many people who are transgender or have related issues is also fascinating. And as I've said, I think I've probably laboured this point. It's an area I've not really examined as far as applying hypnosis is concerned. And so I learned a great deal here. And, and as well as in my own subsequent research on the subject, there's loads of fascinating stuff to learn here today. So here is this week's professional discussion with Melvin Marsh. Enjoy. <music> So I'm rejoined by uh, this week's guest, uh, Melvin Marsh, and we're going to be talking about uh, we're going to be talking about transgender-related issues and and hypnotherapy applications. And one of the things that um, I was keen to impress upon Melvin before we started recording was just a little bit of my own ignorance, a little bit of my own naivety with regards to the subject matter, and not wanting to put my foot in it, and wanting to to make sure that I respected the subject matter and and you know didn't make any major faux pas. So I think. Melvin, first of all, um, um, could you could you just tell us, um, um, in, in perhaps the more more agreeable terms, you know, you know, when we talk about transgender, what what actually does this mean? Well, transgender itself is actually an umbrella term. Yeah. So people actually sometimes fight about what it means, but generally, when you're looking at at, at the at the word, it means anybody who's you know maybe gender you know, presentation or identity and sex don't fully match. Right. Now you can have, you know, there, there are people that, 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 you know, simply go off and, 
you know, are, are you know are fine. Only have maybe have minor transgender issue. Certainly um, nowadays uh, there is there are a few things that you know women do that are no longer considered weird or you know bad. But you're looking a hundred years ago would be considered a transgender issue. Mm. You know, women nowadays tell a woman she can't wear jeans. She'll probably kill you. Um, I can you know <laughs> I can do what I want. A hundred yeah. years ago, you wouldn't have. It would be yeah. considered a transgender, you know, situation because you did something that was not with your gender norms. There are other people um, who sim- simply have a full or mostly full, you know, disconnect. So this is all. This whole thing is basically one giant spectrum, where their brain and their body are so at odds that. They want to fix one of the one of the other, and it's much easier to fix one's body than one's brain. They you can go off mm-hmm. uh, and have surgery or go on hormones. That's a transsexual. There are you know people may have you know may be aware of the fact that they're supposed to be the opposite sex. As, you know as young as say three or four. And or some might not realize it until much older. I know people who transitioned when they were in their fifties. Mm. Uh, so that so you've got a huge spectrum, from you know minor things, you know oh, you know you know somebody maybe wanting to wear a dress or not wearing a dress, or wearing jeans, to to that. We also have you know cross dressers who just want to do it one you know once in a while yeah. might want to time time. Who knows? Transvestites um, will, are is, is tends to have a more negative connotation. That's usually people who are doing it for a sexual, a more sexual thing. You know, it's you know, yeah. it's not you know, it's not always people are arguing over some of these terms all the time. There are even arguments over what it means to be transsexual. You know, does yeah. that mean can you be a non-op, non-hormone transsexual? Realistically, yes, but the trans community will fight over the most minor of issues. I've been in this community since I was 14. I am about to turn 36. I have seen every argument that you can have for every single possible term. So you, it's, so you have to be very careful about just simply the, the terms. And, but you do have to be aware that it can be such a spectrum. Most people, we when we think transgender, we're thinking people that are probably at the one of the extreme ends, most likely just you know wanting to live as a member of the opposite sex, potentially you know having surgery. Although surgery, of course, is never a requirement. So yeah, yeah. But that helps a little bit. Yeah, that's really useful. Um, I think that's really useful. Um, um, can you tell us a little bit about your own about your own journey, your own story, your own background as well, oh, Melvin? Um, absolutely. With this. I um, was one of the weird people. I shouldn't say weird people because a lot of people know at a young age, but at the time it was the '80s, and that type of phrase would have been considered would have been very very weird. But I knew I have a memory somewhere between the age of three and five. I always tell people it was probably about three years old. Yeah, but it was somewhere between three and five. I remember being in my grandmother's house. They had a discussion over um, me being a girl. And I said, why do you tell them I'm a girl when I'm a, a boy? I remember you know, several 
seconds later, waking up from the ground, having been knocked unconscious by one of the one of the people in my life. I don't have a good memory of who knocked me out because I, I think I was pointed in the back of, uh, in a different direction, and I think it was a, a hit on the back of my head. Mm. So I gotten a good visual, or maybe I got knocked out so bad that I can't remember. But the, but now you're thinking early '80s where mm. trans issues were kind of, I mean it was it was that was still pretty rare. This is you know back when they didn't exactly have an internet. Well, we they had an internet, but not a real internet, not what we think of as the internet. You know, you basically had, you know, bulletin board systems at your library if you were lucky. The average person didn't even know about that. Um, I remember going through and realizing that I was very, very different from everybody else. I was definitely not like the other young young girls, that's for sure. Mm. Um, I was I identified much more with the, the young guys that I was with, was hanging out. But I knew every time that I said anything... This was going to be some something negative was going to happen to me. We didn't have a discussion again, a pub, more public out in the open discussion, until the very early nineties. I was about nine years old, not well nine ten years old, and uh, we started watching stuff like Plan Nine from Outer Space. I got really big into vampire films and and very old bad sci-fi films, and so I was a huge Bela Lugosi fan. And the um, one of the direct the director was known to occasionally dress in women's clothing. So as we learn more about this Ed Wood character, mm. not a character, but he, you know he was a, he was a real person, but you know he was a character. Um, you you know I learned more and had this discussion with my dad, and uh, he she, he pointed out that some people had such an extreme. Um, issue with you know, how they identified that some people actually could go and have would have surgery performed. So this is my first introduction to you know trans surgery, and I and I was like, oh, can they can they do that for me? And so he's he he looks at me. He has this weird look on his face, which, in all fairness, it's my dad, so he always have that. He always has kind of a weird look on his face. Uh, he was like, well, they can't do it your way. You know, they can't do it female to, to male. Uh, so you're talking the early 90s, and that wasn't no. incorrect. No. So they very rarely did female to male. That's not something that ever got discussed. It never, certainly never met the news very frequently. No. Basically, the best thing people could hope for was basically dress as a member, you know, dress as a guy, member yeah. of the opposite. Um, so I thought, again, I was the only one, again, until I was about 20 years old. Um, and by this point, uh, I was in college my junior year, and I had this, this, had this, um, this friend who was working on his master's thesis, or what was going to become his master's thesis, and uh, from, he, from him, he was a gay guy, mm. I learned that, you know, there is a difference between gender and sex, etc. And he was having a disc- he was discussing this and I and I looked at him and I said, "Oh, so there are people that go my way." He looked at me like I was a space alien, quickly picked up his stuff and left. I went home, I googled 
was it woman and man's body or something similar girl and boys but whatever yeah. you can understand where i was going yeah, yeah. and um i found this whole transgender stuff thing that i didn't this whole world that I, the specific world i didn't know about i had been in the lgbt community since i was 14 this is six years of me being in the community mm. and not knowing about female to male transsexuals mm. which is i mean you'd think that that would that would be a thing but not not so much yeah. you'd see the other going the other way you'd see the gay guys you'd see the the, the lesbian you'd see every, you'd see everybody but this poor female to male contingent um and from there my husband was watching nascar or something yes i also married a redneck you know you have you guys have a perspective of, of americans watching nascar yes i married <laughs> really does and um and i said Honey, I I I think I might be a female to male transsexual. And <laughs> his response was, "That's nice, dear," and went right back to watching his 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 stupid race. No offense to anybody out there who watches NASCAR, but come on, man, if your wife says something like that, that's nice, dear. Listen to well, you. She might be trying to tell you something important. Um, so I had to live. Um, I started. Well, I started to get myself together to start living as a man for you know, part time. Mother Nature has a sense of humor. <laughs> I am pregnant. I was still dressing part time like a guy, which I mean, in all fairness, you'd think that it wouldn't be a, that big of a deal, since women can wear men's clothing. It's more socially acceptable. Apparently, it was not so much. Um, I got uh, a lot of abuse from the OBGYN that I was going to. I already don't didn't like doctors. I had a medical phobia. That's that's that that, that was a big thing for me. But and I've had that since I was little, teeny, tiny, like baby, like three years old. My, it was my first needle phobia. So it was so much to get me to go to that doctor. And when he basically did his malarkey. Um, Okay, that's it. I'm not dealing with this anymore. I can only stand so much abuse. Went home, did the home birth, got investigated by the state of Georgia, um, you know, to, you know, child protective services because they found out I was transgender. Mm. Um, several years later, I had to continue. You know, I did. I did, had to always be on guard in case something um, came up. They did a surprise visit. Um, so it continued to to be part time for a while. I went full time um, in like 2007 after I graduated from graduate school. Yeah. So I so I had already been living part time for a number of years. Let's see, cause I went. Let's see, uh, two, 2002 is when I came out. So there you go. Uh, 2008, um, I I went into the therapy. Because you really are supposed to have therapy so that they can prove that you're not, you know, kind of nuts and doesn't have some other underlying problem. They did that. I got my letters. I was like, okay, I want to, I need to hold off until I get my medical phobia a little bit more con controlled, but I wanted this in place. Went off, got my name changed 2008. Mm. By 
the end of 2008, I was stressing out so bad. I made an appointment for hormones and, and surgery. I was, I had my chest, my chest removed. Well, you know, my boobs removed. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Chest removed. So it sounds so weird, but you know, <laughs> I had, a, I had, I, I didn't have a chest. I had a shelf. I had 34 quadruple D boobs. That was mm. a big size. Um, probably TMI for your listeners, but you know, you got to understand what people are coming through. Yeah. And you know, which I couldn't feel because, you know, I could not feel those things because my mind was very precise as to what, you know, it it had and didn't have. You know, it was it did not it tuned off the boobs. It did not notice it. You know, you could cut them. It my mind was like, I see nothing. Mm. Um, I went off, had surgery in two thousand nine, and had got was put on hormones. And um, basically, have, have been living primarily, you know, as a guy, a very, a very passable guy for the most part, forever since. If we did this interview, of, you know, last last week, you would have seen the world's bushiest beard. I literally had to shave yesterday because I'm doing some videos tonight, um, and I needed to look presentable. So. Yeah. I, I can grow a beard better than almost any, you know, man who was born male. Just say that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Um, um, and and certainly, you know, certainly you seem that way to me. You know, um, Thank you. I'm, I'm absolutely. Thank you for that, Melvin. Just just tell me then, um, um, what what are the kind of issues? And I know it's very difficult to generalize, but but some of the typical issues that you find your transgender clients present. Well, um, actually, we, I, I have a few things that they come in for uh, mo the most frequent. Most frequently, there's some form of anxiety problem. Yeah. That's e Well, that's so easy to, to, to work with. Yeah. A lot of them have come in with some form of abuse. Yeah. Um, and a huge amount of the LGBT population has, has been sexually abused. Um, and frequently they are already in therapy for, for something else. So I, you know, I'm just an additional, you know, person to help with that. Yeah. I'm happy to work with, with their therapists. I just don't want to go in and, and do too, do, uh, too much unless I absolutely know for certain there is another therapist who has my back. Yeah. Yeah. If I, if their session is, is over, and I can't continue to 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 to, to work with work with with them in, in session because I I have no problems running my sessions a little bit over if something comes up. Yeah, I'm happy to to, to hash it out, but I want to make sure that they've got somebody there w with them. Yeah, um, as well. Uh, so I deal with a lot of post traumatic stress. Right. So much it's crazy. Also, the LGBT community tends to have issues with. Weight loss and smoking. So, usually, you're gonna you're gonna see that, of course. Yeah. But mostly, of what I get is the anxiety and stress disorders. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can imagine. And so, um, I'm, 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 how 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 typically how does how how does hypnotherapy feature and how does it become useful? Um, um, specifically, you know, in terms of transgender um, um, natured issues. Well, you know, of course, we we always tackle 
things that, of course, that are not transgender specific, of, of course. course. Of course. Um, and, you know, so the, the, our first sessions are probably going to look very similar to how they would work with anybody. Sure. You know, but I, I'm just going to ask a few additional questions so that I have it in my notes. Because, of course, I take brief notes on, on everybody. But I want to make sure that I ask the questions beforehand. Yeah. If, if it's a trans person, I'm like, okay, well, you know, oh, well, what is your what is your feeling about being, you know, trans? Are you comfortable with this part of you? Are you know, how are your parents taking it? I, I'm gathering more information than I would gather for, um, I don't want to say a normal patient, but a non-LGBT patient. Yeah, yeah. And I feel bad saying normal, but you know, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. You know, you know one of my one of my concerns was about was was about using you know certain terminology that might seem just rude or wrong and so on myself as well. Yeah, it's so. Um, I mean, you know, yeah, because well, saying non-LGBT sounds really weird. Yeah. Or non-queer sounds kind of weird, and some people get offended by the weird queer. You know, it's. Yeah. It gets it's gets ridiculous, but I do actually have a you know, you know have a, a different set of questions that I add to the LGBT people, yeah. so I get a better understanding about where they're coming from. Yeah, and you know I will ask way more detailed questions about you know mom, dad, you know siblings. Um, they're more likely to have experienced homelessness, drug addiction. Yeah, I'm gonna ask more questions about that, especially if they don't come out, you know, bring, yeah. you know, bring that up already. Yeah. A lot of times they will. And uh, well, especially to me because I'm trans as well. So we're speaking literally in a completely different, uh, you know, sp you know, cultural you know, issue where we're, we've, we've got our own culture and community going on. Sometimes we'll, two transgender people will get together and nobody will be able to understand them outside of the community. But that's you know I'm guessing that 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 makes that makes it a much safer environment in therapy you know somebody that's familiar with you know with with things like terminology and with things like you know having you know some of the some of the empathy and some of the insight to 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 um to to, to that world and it it does um, I know that several of my doctors are you know, are gay, I feel a little bit better coming to them for certain issues than I would a, a straight person. Yeah. Um, you know, like my, my primary care doctor is, is gay. So I know that, you know, there are some times that, that I, I will just say, do not give me a nurse. You're going to send me to Dr. Perry. So mm -hmm. I can communicate more directly and say the exact phrases I, I mean in the way that people, that in the way that he understands it that I will get better care. Yeah. You know, and if you spend enough time with the LGBT community, you will pick up the vocabulary and they will get to the point where it's going to be, it, it'll be just like talking to another member of the community because you're there, you're learning. You know, my, my gender therapist, um, she's, she was so well known in the community that we, we, we would talk so frequently in front of her that it was like she wasn't even there. Yeah. And so she so she learned a lot, but she, you know we never we didn't hide her hide our terms from no. her. We just ignored her um, because she was not a threat. Yeah. And and she wasn't a, she wasn't an outsider. Yeah. 
So, you know, I, I do realize I'm in a very lucky position that I can ask certain questions that, you know, maybe a non-transgender therapist, a hypnotherapist or whatnot, might not be able to easily ask, the, you know, especially on a yeah. first session. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. I can imagine that. Um, I'm, I'm definitely. Um, I'm, which, which um, you know, it's... I, I I think it, I think it must be it must therefore be you know some some comfort to that community to have and know that they're a therapist and likewise you know for you to have doctors that 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 have, that have had access to the community and have access to and and an understanding um, which makes which which makes for a very different experience are, are there therefore you know some some particular differences or specialist considerations. Um, with transgender clients, do you think? Uh, your biggest thing, I mean, um, if you do hit, some type of inner child work, right? that's when you're really going to have to potentially ask questions before you even get in there. I don't care if this is your the first session or, you know, 10 sessions down the road, but there are questions that you are going to have to ask. Mm. Um, it will help to know how you how they want you to refer to themselves as a child i'm pretty cool i'm because i'm I, I don't i'm one of those people who does not have a stick up their butt if you want to address me when i when i'm doing when I, if i'm doing some type of inner child work you know it doesn't it doesn't matter if you address you know young melvin as a he a she or, or whatever you can yeah. call you know you can refer to my younger self you know, as Mindy, which was the nickname I had growing up, you know, I will respond to it. I'm not going to be insulted. Um, I'm not going to be offended. Um, there was a situation I was coming in. I was just, I was literally getting my last few certification hours. I was with another hypnotherapist and her student. Yeah. And we were just basically taking turns, rotating through and hypnotizing each other. And she was using me as an example because I'm easy. I'm synambulist. It's, you know, oh, come on, this, watch this. And, you know, she's doing all sorts of weird things to me. And finally she, she asks, you know, what do I want to actually work on? And I gave her something to work on. And she said, okay, well, let's find out where this root of this, this issue started. What was the earliest thing you remember, you remember that's related? So as I'm, you know, kind of, you know, d deep in trance. Yeah. Um, and I'm seeing, I'm reliving an experience that happened about when I was about three or four, uh, which is not something that Stephanie was expecting at any point that that day, or else we probably would have discussed the student and told us to warn the student. But I started coming up because, you know, I was, I, I became very aware of this guy. I can't remember what his name is, but he's he's one of his students, so so a so somebody very very new to the field. Um, I came up and said, "Oh, by the way, I'm transgender. Oh, by the way, you know, you know, I'm very open about it. I've had I've even had kids, so don't be too surprised if stuff like that comes up." And about. Three seconds later, I'm back almost unconscious because, you know, 
it's fun to, to kind of be a synambulist, you know, sometimes. You say the word trance, I'm halfway gone. Mm-hmm. I probably have drifted into trance about five or six times already in this pod, during this podcast interview. And um, so I go back to where I was working. And, you know, it would have been help, more helpful for um, if Stephanie had realized that there is the distinct possibility that they were going to hit things that perhaps a discussion beforehand would have been help would have been good mm. uh, to find out hey uh if we happen to be talking to your inner child which was th- i didn't realize i was actually going to get a trance at all during this or else i would probably would have made a suggestion that was maybe not dealing with a confidence issue mm. but uh, uh you know we could have said you know she should have said perhaps asked earlier well, in the event that we're in this situation, what gen, what what pronoun should I use? And in, in or out of trance, I'm going to say something similar. It's going to be like, I really don't care. Which, I care when we're talking about me in present day. Yeah. With if if past uh, you know uh, you know go if you go back a certain point, I do not care one iota. Mm. I know who I am, regardless. If, yeah. if you ever see my dreams, I flip-flop between the two sexes depending on what else is around in my dream. Sure. Like if, that's, if I'm in a, like if I'm having a dream when I'm back in Girl Scouts, I'm going to see myself as a boy. If I'm down at my father's work, which was all male, I'm going to see myself as a girl. I'm, I'm kind of flexible that way. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, some people are, some people aren't. I'm, I'm just – I don't suffer from little dick syndrome, so I'm very cool and – I'm actually one of the most laid-back trans people out there, which is kind of sad. Um, but, you know, Stephanie probably should have asked, probably should have, you know, maybe warned the student yeah. uh, and or had me warn the student. But, again, I don't think anybody realized that we I was going to go from a, basically a 35-year-old male who, you know, was being put into weird positions and holding them because, you know, I'm fun to muck with. <laughs> to, uh, oh, she, oh, th- that was the most silent induction ever. She just picked up my arm, just gestured towards my the palm, and I was like, hey, and gone. Mm. Well, she was continuing to teach. But I don't think anybody would have really realized that I was, you know, going to be doing some inner child work at that particular moment on that particular day. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... Always prepare and know what you're about to go into, I think, would be a good plan regardless. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I find this so fascinating um, and could talk um, for much longer. But heck, we are, we are out of time. Um, um, so people, people want to come and learn more or people that, are, um, that have an interest or, um, um, or, or, or issues of this kind um, can contact you via your website, www.afterhourshypnotherapy.com. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great. So, um, um, all that leaves me to say, Melvin, thank you. Thank you for being this week's guest um, and, and, and giving so generously here on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me.
I really enjoyed that. My thanks to Melvin for his candor and for sharing his expertise on this subject matter. Uh, On to this week's evidence-based hypnosis factoid of the week. The fact of the week is this. uh, Self-hypnosis reduces pain and improves mood of women with metastasized carcinoma of the breast. You'd be amazed how many retakes I've had to record with regards to getting the word metastasized correct in my mind. I've just been chewing and mewing it uh, ridiculously. Uh, Anyway, so Spiegel and Bloom conducted a study back in 1983 that investigated the pain and mood disturbances of women with metastasized carcinoma of the breast over the course of one year. And those who were taught self-hypnosis exercises for five to 10 minutes at the end of the group therapy sessions experienced significantly less self-reported pain over the course of the year than those that are just experiencing the group therapy sessions. As well as the direct effect upon the pain and the discomfort, the authors partly attributed the outcome to the effect of the self-hypnosis treatment upon mood. That is, the self-hypnosis trained group experienced significantly lowered mood disturbances, often associated with pain, helping those in the group to experience diminished pain and suffering throughout the year of the study. Um, So yes, indeed, there you have it. Self-hypnosis reduces pain and improves mood of women with metastasized carcinoma of the breast. Um, And a link to that research paper, um, of which there's a full PDF available online, um, is included on this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. So That's it for this week's 76th edition. I do have many more exciting guests that are welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. In coming weeks too, we'll be discussing, debating, celebrating and above all remaining friends. I'll be away next week because I'm going to be hanging out with a hero of mine, Professor Irving Kirsch. uh, And uh, I'll be out of town with some other projects too. However, I return with a special edition featuring founder of the UK Hypnosis Convention, Nick Ebden. Um, All the references made in the discussions along with related links are posted at each episode on the Hypnosis Weekly website www.hypnosis-weekly.com. I absolutely welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions and questions so do please message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website and I'll make sure they are addressed, answered and explored accordingly. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else and really help us reach the hypnosis field. Thanks again to Melvin Marr My thanks to you, as always, for tuning in. I love you all very much. My name is Adam Eason. This has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time, goodbye for now. 